Welcome to Mac Geek Gab, episode 933 for June 20th, 2022. <laughs> to Mac Geek Gab, the show where we take your questions that you send in to feedback at MacGeekGab.com. We take your tips that you also send in to the same address, your cool stuff found. We mix those with some of our own tips and cool stuff found and sometimes even our own questions to form an agenda that we will talk through in a moment here. And the goal is by talking through this agenda, answering your questions, sharing your tips, sharing your cool stuff found, we each learn at least five new things every time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include LinkedIn Jobs, where at linkedin.com slash MGG, you can go and post your first job for free, for free. And also wealthfront.com slash MGG, where you can get your first $5,000 managed for free for life at wealthfront.com slash MGG. We'll talk more in depth about each of those in a moment here. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here with a crummy internet connection, which you know how you fix it, folks? You power cycle your cable modem. <laughs> uh, this is John F. Braun. Let's talk through your uh, let's, let's talk through troubleshooting that because we 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 this is take two of the episode, but we didn't get very far into take one because as soon as the theme music started, John's connection went to like all cyborg mode. And so the other than knowing that there was a problem, uh, you want to talk through the troubleshooting steps that that we did, John, to isolate where the problem was. Um, The troubleshooting step was. Do a ping to something and see if there's packet loss. And there was packet loss. All right. So what was the something that you did a ping to? Uh, uh, ping www.apple.com. Okay. You can ping anything. But yeah, so the thing is, so I ran a ping test and it would say that uh, most of them failed. So... How do you solve that? I don't know. I've been having some issues with uh, with my connection. Interesting. So I, I, I want to what I what I'm what I was hoping to get to here is that we didn't just do one ping, right? Well, I pinged. Yeah. So so the thing is, is it my internal network? And it's like, well, let me ping my router. And so I pinged my router and, and everything was fine on that. So it wasn't an internal network thing. It was definitely an external network thing. Yep. And that that's that that's often my favorite way of doing this stuff too, is like I want to know where you want to, you know, it's the we call it the troubleshooting process, right? We want to narrow down, all right, where's the problem? Because if you know, we could blame your internet connection, which in this case is hundred percent correct, uh, at least given the symptoms. But if you had some device that was causing either Wi-Fi interference, uh, like I talked about last week, or or just clogging up your network, maybe something was doing a backup. I don't know. You know, and, and like any of those things could cause your internal network to go south. Uh, so it's always good to isolate where the problems are. So, yeah, when I was troubleshooting the issues 
with, I forget, something recently. Like I was pinging different devices on my network and noticing that I had good connections to some and bad connections to others. But that also helped me isolate. Like, oh, okay. Like, all right, we'll compartmentalize this and, you know, slowly walk down the path. But tedious. But well, we got there. And it seems like you're con- are your pings still still looking good? Yep. Great. I like it. I like it. All right. Well, then. Uh, yeah, well, I don't know why oh. things fall apart. The thing is, um, I'll typically listen to the radio using TuneIn. And okay. that was also acting up on me in that it would be streaming content. And then all of a sudden it would just stop. And I'm like, what? Interesting. Huh. huh. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's kind of annoying that I got to power cycle my cable modem to fix this problem, but maybe I need a new cable modem. I don't know. Or or just jump to your the, the fiber connection that's being offered in your area and, and leave yes. the cable modem behind. Yeah. I, okay. So this we're already down a tangent rat hole here, but that's totally fine. Mm-mm-mm. Well, I've been thinking about this recently, right? Because I talked about how I had a weird issue with um, my fiber connection, where if it rebooted, if if the power went out, when the power went out, when things came back, if the uh, ONT, which is effectively that we'll call it the modem for the fiber connection, even though it's not really uh, anyway, the ONT, uh, if that came online before my router came online, then the ONT would never see an Ethernet connection from my router. And obviously, you know, th- then I have no connection. And so I didn't it took me a couple of weeks to realize that's what the problem was. And in the interim, I rekindled my Comcast connection as a backup because, you know, I had a bunch of travel in May and I didn't I needed to know that the, the network was going to remain as stable as possible. And thankfully, my Synology router will do fallback. And so I was like, all right, fine, I'm just going to do this and then I'll, I'll figure it out. And we figured out that the ONT was faulty and now is, is fine. And I've tested it and it all comes back up the right way, but I still have that Comcast connection. And it, you know, there's part of me that's like, okay, well for 40 bucks a month, uh, you know, given what I do, it's kind of, it's, it, that's not a terribly expensive insurance policy. So I've left it in place, but our conversation last week about Verizon and T-Mobile's home internet, especially Verizon's 5G home internet, got me to thinking like, wait a minute, if I want a real insurance policy, and I've got a generator at the house now that runs on propane, why would I be using another wired connection as my internet fallback, right? Because Comcast is, I mean, it's, you know, it's wired. It's a different wire. It's not the fiber. It's a coax cable. Uh, at least not to my house. It might be fiber somewhere. But um, if a tree takes down, you know, the the poles to my house or the wires to my house, chances are it's going to take down both the fiber and the cable. Now, in the past, I've had it take down electric and and the cable line is laying on the ground, but the cable actually still worked. So, you know, it's not a it's not a, a, a one for one thing, but Still, it got me to thinking, should I be using, if I want to pay for a a backup connection as an insurance policy, should I be using something that doesn't require wires and is wireless like Verizon's thing or Starlink or any of the things that we talked about last week? So my guess is, you know me, folks, that over the next month or two, that will probably happen because 
that's just how I am. So anyway, it's uh, I, that those are the thoughts. I don't know. What do you what do you think about that, John? Um, I am. So they're also offering fiber now, both Optimum, who is my current provider, offers a fiber option. Actually, everybody's offering fiber now in this mm. neighborhood. Yeah. Which is nice. Uh, there's a new outfit called Go Net Speed, I think, that is offering it. But then okay. all of a sudden, Optimum was like, oh, yeah, by the way, if you want gig service, um, we can give you that. And it's like, hmm. Hmm. Now, I'll have to figure the wiring because, you know, I have cable coming into the house. I don't have fiber coming into the house. I think Most, I'll have to drill into the side of the house in order to get it up to where my current connection is. That's that's what um, I mean, that's what they did here. No, I, I would I would venture to say that most homes that aren't already on a fiber Internet connection don't have fiber to the house like they came and. They drilled into, you know, they ran the fiber along the side of my, my, well, I chose to have it run to my office. That may or may not have been a mistake in retrospect, but whatever, that's where I had them run it. And then they drilled and, and put the ONT on the wall inside the office. And, and it, I mean, it's fine. I, I happen to be in a scenario where uh, I can have the ONT right next to where I want my router to be, but the guy that actually that came out to troubleshoot the most recent issue and, and swap out the ONT uh, was telling me uh, a, a funny story, but where they had the ONT in the basement and the router upstairs and uh, and they just, you know, they con- consolidated or Fidium, they call the brand now, ran an Ethernet cable. I think they snaked it through the walls up to wherever the connection was. The funny part of the story was. They got it all set up. Everything was working. And then like the next day, the customer called and was like, it doesn't work anymore. And the guy gets there and he looks at the router and he says, uh, wow, there's no Ethernet light on the router. That's weird. I wonder what's going on with the ONT. So he walks down into the basement uh, and looks at the ONT and the ONT is like powering up. And he's like, wait a minute. Is this ONT? He goes up and he hits the light switch for the basement and the ONT turns off. So they had plugged mm-hmm. it into a switched outlet. It was the old Clark Griswold, Ellen Griswold trick. So, uh, so he said uh, he, they found a different outlet for it. So, <laughs> but yeah. So anyway, we'll um, stay tuned on that. If, if, but if anybody out there has one of these, you know, Verizon Home five G or the T Mobile Home five G or any kind of, you know, are you if you're feeding your house or your office. With a wireless connection or Starlink, let us know feedback at macgeekup.com. We would love to hear your real world experiences with it and how it works. I was I was looking at the speeds and stuff, John, from that article you posted last week, and uh, you know, upstream is going to be like on the Verizon one. Upstream was I think a hundred megabits or less, but downstream for a lot of people is in the you know seven, eight hundred, nine hundred, like close to gigabit speeds, which is plenty in today's world. So, yeah. Anyway, that's where we're at. Shall we move on to quick tips here, John? Go. All right. Greg says, uh, I use focus mode on my iPhone a lot, but one feature I didn't use until today is the home screen feature to hide all pages except for the ones that I set focus. 
Uh, he says, I think I learned this from the show. And you may have. I'm not sure. I think we talked about it incidentally. So great. I'm glad. I love that still counts as one of your five things, even if we didn't intend for you to learn it. That's how it works. He says, uh, I put a mind. I put all my mindfulness apps on a few pages and then moved the pages in the order I wanted. One thing I didn't care for was that if I wanted an app on that focus page, then I have to move it to a different page than it was on originally. And if it's not on my first page anymore, the page I want just to make it in a focus, like it was an either or thing or so he thought he found a solution to this. He says, I don't know if it's a bug or a feature, but I found a way to have an app on two pages at once. Here's how. Go to the app library and do a search for the app that you want to put on a focus page. Once you find the app, then just tap and hold the app to get it into jiggle mode and then drag it down and move it to the focus page you want it to be on. Now it's on two pages. So the, I guess the idea would be when you're not in a focus mode, put it on one page and then go to the app library, grab it and put it on the second page. He says, I, originally this happened and I was scratching my head and thought it was annoying. To hide it, I just chose to move it back to the app library. After trying custom pages and was frustrated that I had to move an app from the original location, I happily remembered this. Nice find, Greg. Yeah, I don't know if that's a bug or a feature. <laughs> it's hard to say, but, uh, you know, we'll take it. I like it. Thanks for sharing that. It's pretty cool, huh, John? Uh, I haven't really done much with focus mode. Maybe I should. I, I, I got to tell you, especially like right now when we're podcasting, to be able to know that you can text me, but like my family or randos can't interrupt me. Like that, that's good. My family are not randos, at least not most of the time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. The next quick tip comes from Todd. He says, uh, uh, it, there, it was baked inside of a question, right? He says, I recently replaced my beam gen one in my living room, uh, TV with a beam gen two. He says, uh, the full setup, well, anyway, he's got a big, nice big Sonos setup in the living room. He said, uh, when I check the Sonos app on my iPhone, it often says that the Beam is receiving or playing audio in stereo PCN, PCM, uh, when he knows that he is playing something that has, say, 5.1 or Atmos audio. Uh, he says, after monkeying it around with the Apple TV settings, and that's in on Apple TV, video and audio, audio format, he says, I discovered that if I left it on the default setting under audio format, this is on the Apple TV, a title recorded in 5.1 was coming to the beam as PCM stereo. Titles recorded in Atmos, though, came over in Atmos. Okay. He says, manually changing the Apple TV audio format in settings, like an animal, he says, to Dolby 5.1, then those 5.1 titles came over appropriately as 5.1 and sound much better to him than the PCM stereo. Okay, so he's getting what he expects to get. But if you set it to Force 5.1, all those Atmos titles also come in as 5.1. Oh, no. In fact, he says the Atmos titles don't even come in at 5.1. Now those come in as PCM stereo. So the trick is moving things back and forth. I, I don't know what's going on with the Apple TV and its audio output. Um, it is, and I, I don't, necessarily blame Apple for this uh, because there's a lot of weirdness as we've talked about on the show a few times about how audio gets passed from your, your, you know, whatever your source device is through your TV to your sound bar 
There's so many negotiations and compatibility issues and all of that there that it's possible his TV is filtering things in a way that he's solving with his with his Apple TV. But he might need to go into his television's settings and tweak some of the pass throughs there to get things. But it, it the, the, the not so quick tip, I suppose, is you can force the Apple TV to output sound in different ways. And, and it's worth experimenting with all of that. So thank you, Todd. It's, it's a, it's a convoluted thing, but um, the nice part is Sonos makes it super easy to see what it's receiving. It shows you right there in the iPhone app, what format it's getting. It didn't used to, and it used to be really difficult to, to troubleshoot. You have to go into like the settings and, and diagnostics to get, you know, those details, but now it's right there on the, uh, you know, on the page. So, you know, are you getting five one? Are you getting Atmos? Are you getting 7.1? That's not Atmos. Like it'll tell you all that good stuff, which is great. Uh, while we're on that subject, John, mm-hmm. we've talked about various streaming services. And one of my complaints or observations with direct TV stream was that it did not have a way to follow a team. So if you are using one of these services like YouTube TV or Fubo TV or direct TV stream, for live sports, it like which is which is a a one of the more common reasons people would subscribe to one of these services, especially cord cutters, because that's the way you can get live sports is through one of those, you know, not cable, but kind of like cable over the Internet things. Uh, the issue is, you know, like YouTube and with Fubo. You could just go in and say, okay, you know, I, I like to watch the Bruins or I like to watch the Patriots or, you know, whatever team you like to watch. And then it would just record all those games for you. And you're great. Yeah, good to go. DirecTV Stream did not have that. I could go into individual games and tell it to record those, and that's fine. But it's nice to just say, go get them all. I'm good. And I happened to be messing around with DirecTV Stream the other day, and I noticed that they now have a follow team uh, option, which is great. So, um, I had to test it with the Red Sox because there's no Bruins or Patriots games on. And we don't really watch baseball in our house. Um, for us, it's like watching paint dry. I totally understand that for other people, it, it's not. And that's that's great. But we never baseball was never a thing for for us. But anyway, it worked with the Red Sox. So I'm presuming that it will work with, you know, other sports teams, too. So. Yeah, good. All right. Sports. Sports? Why are you on? Uh, you're you're still like getting your TV from uh, like your cable. cable cable company. Okay. Well, if you wind up changing to a fiber connection, you will have reason to reevaluate that. Which is w- what kind of caused that for us. Once we got away from Xfinity, it was like, okay, wait. Now we're not buying a package deal from Xfinity anymore. Let's really think about what we're doing here. And that's when we moved to initially YouTube TV and then wound up moving to Fubo because YouTube didn't have our local sports stuff. Like we couldn't watch Bruins games on YouTube TV because they blocked, they, 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 they ended their deal with Nesson. And now there's this whole Nesson 360 thing coming to solve that problem for those folks. So anyway. Yeah. And even with my current program, um, they put a sports surcharge on my bill. It's it's like a few bucks, but I'm like, well, can you not do that? Because I don't really watch sports. So I'm like, can you take that fee off? And they're like, no. Hmm. 
Huh. Yeah, no, that's the that's the five dollar R they call it the RSN surcharge, right? The regional mm. regional sports networks. Yeah, you pay for that. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um yeah. Okay. Uh one more. Well, it's kind of a quick tip. I, I suppose this could be a cool stuff found, but but uh, related to episode nine thirty-two, Todd says Hey, guys, in regards to covering those annoying LED lights with a large NFC eye store that you might or might not end up using, instead, get a $6 sheet of LED dimming stickers and shut those annoying LEDs down for good. Yeah, it, it this $6 sheet is comes in all different shapes and sizes of these stickers that are, I guess, completely opaque. Like, they will not even let the, you know, retina searing... LEDs through. So, yeah. Yeah. Good. I like that. There's a link in the show notes to an Amazon listing for a pack of these, and it is like six bucks, I think. So that's um, that's the way to go. I like it. Yeah. All different, uh, all different shapes and sizes and little, lots of little things. Or electrical tape. <laughs> yeah. You're right. Yeah. Black tape works. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I've used. Yeah, six bucks though. You know, then yeah, I had a light in my car one time that was in a faulty state, and it was just annoying me because it was like always flashing and yeah, yeah, trying to get my attention. So I'm like, yep, get that tape, get that. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's what I've used in the past is is black tape. In fact, it, it wouldn't surprise me if what these stickers are are that same material just, mm -hmm. you know, pre pre cut to be, <clears throat> pardon me, the size of, of, uh, you know, mm -hmm. little lights. So cool. All right, folks, let's, um, we've got, Oh, we have some more follow-ups. In, in fact, one very important follow-up to, to get through and then some questions. The next thing I'd love to do, John, is tell everybody about our, uh, our couple of sponsors for today. Sounds great. All right. Our sponsor, Wealthfront, wants you to think long-term with your money, and that's why they asked me to read this ad as if I'm talking to you from the distant future. Well, I got to tell you, it's pretty weird here in 2112. The president is an NFT, music has been outlawed, and ink cartridges are our form of currency now. Luckily for you, you invested your money early in an automated Wealthfront portfolio, and now you can thank yourself with lots of ink cartridges. You might think that day trading stocks is the secret to investing success, but Wealthfront has a ton of data to show that time in the market almost always beats timing the market. Their globally diversified portfolios automatically optimized to hit the goals that you set and the risk level you choose. And you also get you automated tax breaks that can boost your return, even when the market dips. It's this thing called tax loss harvesting, and they actually invented the software. It's cool. Look it up. And you can even personalize your portfolio with a selection of funds handpicked by Wealthfront's financial experts. They've got categories like social responsibility, if that's your thing, or clean energy, if you're into that, cannabis, if you're into that, cryptocurrency. Maybe someday they'll create a Mac Geek Gab fund, right? That'd be fun. Wealthfront is trusted with over $27 billion in assets, helping nearly half a million people build their wealth. And Investopedia just named them their best robo-advisor for 2022. To start building your wealth and get your first $5,000 managed for free for life, 
Go to wealthfront.com slash MGG. That's W-E-A-L-T-H-F-R-O-N-T dot com slash MGG to start building your wealth. Go to wealthfront.com slash MGG to get started today. And our thanks to Wealthfront for sponsoring this episode. Well, as the sun comes out and small businesses are back in business, LinkedIn Jobs makes it easier to grow your team. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the people you want to interview faster and for free. As many of you know, last year we were able to find Sadie, the person who has been doing all the great promotion and social media stuff, not just for this show, but for lots of our shows here at Backbeat Media. And we found Sadie through LinkedIn Jobs. You go, you create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Then add your job and the purple hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile and spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. And then they've got these simple tools like screening questions that make it super easy to focus on the candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. And this is why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk with faster. Did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash MGG. That's linkedin.com slash MGG to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And our thanks to LinkedIn Jobs for sponsoring this episode. All right. Um, we had a we talked last week, John, about the uh, the remote access specifically for someone's uh, accessing someone's grandfather's computer. So, you know, ab abstracting it out, just accessing the computer of someone that's not technically comfortable to like turn on remote access when you need it or, or invite you in or any of that stuff. And we mentioned a lot of solutions. There was evidently one that we did not mention and, all of you mentioned it, I, I think, uh, counting out here. So, I, I yeah, mm -hmm. every single one of you. We had – it was uh, Steve and Sylvain and Dan and Frank, and, and, and then I started to lose count. He says uh, the, the, the simplest answer, try any desk. They have a free personal use license, and it works across Mac, Windows, iOS, and Chrome. It certainly seems like any desk is what at least most of you are using for exactly this purpose. And uh, and so we have not used it yet internally here at Mac Geek Cab, but uh, but it comes highly recommended from uh, from the Mac Geek Cab family. So I'm I'm happy with that. Yeah, it's good, though. The one. And, and it's funny because we're getting a comment at live.macgeekcab.com right now from Warren about the other one. That we didn't mention. Uh, it was Warren that just mentioned it in the chat, and listener Jed mentioned it uh, via email this week. He said, Jump Desktop is really the new best one I've used. Once it's set, it always seems to work through firewalls. It's the most solid remote control software I've ever used, including TeamViewer, LogMeIn, Google Chrome. And as Warren points out, Jump Desktop is inside Setup. So if you have a Setup subscription, you are already uh, set to use Jump Desktop. So thank you for both of those. Or Yeah, thank you for both of those. This is great. This is why I say this all the time, but it like it, I say it because it's true. This is really like one of my favorite things 
about doing this show is that we get to learn. Like, there's no way me or John or any of us could know all the things. And so having these conversations, it really just, you know, it allows. I love it. I love it. I also learned a thing, John. And listener Carl mm. will point this out to us. Yeah, you know, I ranted last week about how it took me 20 minutes to edit a PDF and PDF pen, even though I've been using PDF pen for over a decade and I know what to do. Last week, we had the conversation and there were lots of things mentioned. Uh, one of the things that was mentioned was PDF expert. Uh, and so I tried it. And within... Five minutes of launching it on my Mac for the very first time, I had not only edited that very same PDF that I needed to edit. I figured I'd use, you know, as as close a litmus test as I could. But and I had the edits done perfectly. I didn't there was no jankiness like there was with with PDF pen for me. I just like clicked and edited and it worked and I didn't have to reformat anything. It was just done. And so because that only took about 90 seconds, literally. First time using the software, I was finished in 90 seconds. Then I thought, okay, well, let's see how easy is it is to get a, you know, a signature in here. Can I build a stamp that I can use for like approved stuff that has a date and a time on it? And so within five minutes, I had done everything, editing the PDF, adding the signature into my library and PDF, PDF expert, sorry. And then, uh, and then also building this stamp. And then when I added it to my iPhone, the signature and the stamp were already there. It must sync via iCloud. It's amazing. So I have moved to PDF Expert, not just on my Mac, but on all my devices and not just for editing. I've moved to it for reading PDFs, too. So now I have PDF Expert open PDFs instead of preview. And I've done it for a week like it. I, I And I've signed contracts with it. Like I've, I've done all the things. And like the amazing part to me is that I could have that PDF that I needed to edit a while back. That was kind of the, the catalyst to this conversation. I could easily have edited it on my iPhone too. And, and to me that speaks to, to a company that really spent some time focusing on user experience because that kind of thing can be wonky on an iPhone and they made it as, as wonky free as possible. So it's, it's the folks at Riedel, R-E-A-D-D-L-E that, that, uh, make PDF expert. So that's my new favorite. And I, and Carl wrote in this week and, and said, make sure you use that too. In fact, I think Jed, uh, where we mentioned jump desktop, I think he also said, so lots of great feedback from episode nine thirty two. Uh, have you messed with PDF expert yet, John, or any of these? No. No. Oh, okay. All right. There's it. There it is. That patented. No, I'm going to, we're going to record that. We're going to make it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, actually, I think we just did record it. If I, if I'm not mistaken, well, if I am mistaken, we're kind of screwed because it means we're going to need to do the episode over. Uh, it means that this isn't take two. Uh, we did have one piece of feedback uh, from Barry. He's he's a few episodes behind. Uh, he has a comment on on Mac Geekab number one, uh, which he, he his comment was, uh, "I don't think it's a good idea for the Mac to run Intel processes processors. They should develop their own." So we'll see how that works out. Um, Barry might be right. I'm just saying. He went back and listened to episode one. So, you know, there you go. What do you think about that, John? Should, um, a- should Apple develop their own processors? Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Though I'm looking back in history, and the thing is, uh, 
I mean, I remember fondly when they were running PowerPC, which is a processor from IBM. Yes. And I still remember the the thing was they the uh, Apple started or actually Intel wasn't or, or IBM wasn't really delivering the goods in that the processors were just like falling behind in performance compared to other platforms. Yeah. And then I remember the day when Apple was like, uh, you know, so IBM was like, oh, what are you going to do? Switch to another processor? And Apple was like, uh, yep. <laughs> yeah. By the way, we've been testing this for years. Yeah, we're ready. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. In, in, in you know, deep in their labs, they were running concurrent versions of Mac OS. That's right. Yeah. Just in case. And that just in case came up. And here we are. Yeah. It was yeah. a good decision. But moving to Intel, I think at the time it was a better idea because you got better performance. But then Intel had the same problems that they really weren't keeping up. Yeah, exactly right. No, I I totally agree. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, we're, it was it was it was a, a moment of humor to bring in Barry's comment from episode one. But but I but I a hundred percent agree with you. At the time, moving to Intel was was hundred percent the right move. And also at the time, moving away from Intel to Apple Silicon it has been the right move. I, clearly, like it's 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 ridiculous what Apple Silicon does in terms of performance compared to you know what what we were getting out of intel i mean they leapfrogged the industry in a huge way it's amazing it's awesome i mean mm -hmm. we're super lucky to be i mean i i still see intel you know saying oh well no here's the new shiny uh, this yeah. one's better and it's like mm -hmm. yeah maybe yeah i mean I but i think you know give it a few years i, I can't imagine that other chip vendors won't start producing their twist on, you know, what Apple's done with Apple Silicon, the whole system on a chip thing. I mean, they have to, otherwise they can't compete, right? Like, I mean, you know, Apple, Apple sort of cracked the code on high performance, low power use, right? And, and blew everybody else out of the water, but obviously other people have smart folks working for them too. And so I think we're, yeah, we're going to see this from, I, I think Intel's probably right that, you know, whatever, some version of their new shiny will get us there. So, yeah. Or get them there. I don't I don't think Apple will jump back to Intel, but you know, other vendors will. So. All right. Well, thank goodness even though we've had lots of tangents, fun ones, don't get me wrong. I like this. Uh it's time to answer some questions, John. You want to take us to Terry, which is kind of a follow-up because we mentioned NFC in the last episode, but uh mm -hmm. we did evidently we didn't go deep enough. Um, yeah, so Terry asks a question. I'm interested to use an NFC tag just to embed my Wi-Fi for guests. What a time saver. What tool do you use to program the tags? Um, and here's the tool. So I found this when, when I was exploring NFC tags, Dave, um, and it's an app called, um, NFC QR code 
document scanner. <laughs> and it lets you do all these things. Now, the, the, what was interesting uh, that I found out that as far as I know, you can't normally do this with uh, with your phone, or at least Apple doesn't provide a facility to do this. But the nice thing about this app is that it does exactly what Terry is asking for, is that you can not only read NFC, which the phone does, but you can write to an NFC tag, which I thought was just like totally cool. <laughs> <laughs> And, and there are a number of predefined um, formats. One of them, as pointed out, is you can create an NFC tag that has your Wi-Fi password. So if you wanted to, you could program an NFC tag. And then when your friends come over for a party or stuff like that, all they have to do is hold their phone up to the NFC tag. And it has an embedded password and it'll log them in. To your uh, to your location. There, there's other formats as well. So you know, check out this app. But um, for example, you can do a business card. Um, I'm trying to remember. If there's there there there's so many predefined formats that this program will support. Yeah, very cool. I like it. That's good. That's good. It's yeah. Good. It's good. I got to admit, I haven't really used it lately. <laughs> Okay. Warren, yeah, maybe I'll okay. I'll revisit it. Yeah, yeah, you got you got me a a, a pack of them. Yeah, um, yeah, they're, they're really cheap. Oh yeah, yeah, a pack of NFC tags or like I don't know, like another six bucks or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Warren in the chat room is saying that he thinks he was able to do this with the Home app, but I I didn't think the Home app let you. The home app certainly will let you trigger an automation based on your phone's proximity to an NFC tag, right? Like that, that is very much a thing uh, that the home app does, but I, I didn't think the home app let you program data into an NFC tag. I, like you, I've always had to use a, oh. a third party app about that. Warren says he's, he's not sure how, but he's pretty sure he was able to do it without a third party app. So if there's a way, if somebody has, you know, uh, some specifics on that feedback at MacGeekUp.com or share in our Discord channel at MacGeekUp.com slash Discord. We'd love to love to have you there. So very cool. Uh, you know, an app that we talked about a number of years ago called App Tamer uh, from St. Clair Software lets you manage how much CPU apps are allowed to use, especially apps when they're in the background. And this can be super handy. And, and But I, since I moved most of my machines to M1, I had kind of forgotten about AppTamer. And, and then I, I was digging around in it, and there is a feature now, and I, it's been there since January, uh, a feature in AppTamer 2 that seemed new to me. One is definitely new from January. And that is... The ability to tell an app when it's in the background to run on the M1 or presumably the M2's efficiency cores so that anything in the background isn't chewing up power. And, 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 and of course, you can do this app by app. It's not, it's not a universal setting. So you can say, okay, I want this app when it's in the background. Only go on efficiency cores. Now, Apple's doing some level of this too, uh, but 
they don't give you any granular control over it. AppTamer gives you that granular control. Uh, the other thing that I found in AppTamer, and maybe it was there all the time and I just never thought about it, is what I'll call Quitter-like functionality. Quitter is an app from Marco Arment that I know and love and use because what it does is it uh, it allows me to say, hey, if I haven't used this app in you know X number of minutes, just go ahead and quit it. And it's how I make sure that like Safari is my favorite example that, you know, after uh, after three hours, I have Safari quit if I haven't used Safari. And that way it ensures that Safari will be relaunched on my machine at least once a day because I tend to sleep for three hours. So even if I'm using my computer way too much, there's still going to be a three hour period where Safari gets quit and I'm good to go. The other thing where it's really nice is like we use QuickBooks and we have a shared folder that we, uh, you know, that we save all the company accounts to and we don't both want to be in QuickBooks at the same time. And we're pretty good about making sure that we communicate when we're in QuickBooks. But if I were to leave my desk and have accidentally left QuickBooks open by setting it to quit after 30 minutes, it really eliminates a lot of that risk. So Quitter is, is, is something I use for that and other reasons. And it seems like AppTamer now has uh, Quitter-like functionality in it. So I just wanted to share that. I had, I had sort of forgotten about it when M1 came out because I thought, well, I don't need this anymore. But maybe, maybe there's a benefit to it. So anyway, I share. Yeah. Have, did you ever use AppTamer, John, or any of that stuff? I have not. Okay. No, I, I haven't found a, a need for it. And it's actually kind of annoying. Uh, so if you look into the past in your crystal ball, um, the, there were two types of multitasking back in the day, if you remember, Dave. There was cooperative multitasking and preemptive multitasking. Oh, cooperative yeah. was where applications could say, hey, I need all the processor now. And that's kind of bad because any one app could take over. And then once Apple and everybody else moved to preemptive multitasking, the hope was that the OS would manage this mess. Right, right, for sure. And it and it doesn't always. Uh, it, it still seems to be that uh, somebody wrote in, I think it was Dropbox. They were like, Dropbox is like monopolizing my processor. And they were like, oh, well, AppTamer you know, takes care of that now. So it's, right. Uh, that's right. So in this day and age, it's kind of annoying that you still need something like this because the OS should, should manage it properly, but it doesn't always. Well, I mean, I, yes, I agree that the OS, it, it would be, it would be perfect if the OS managed it, but the OS can't know what it, what it can't know. Right. It, it like computers still don't read our minds. And so they don't know what our priorities are as users, right? And and that to me is where AppTamer comes in. Like, for example, right now, I know that Chrome needs to be the most important, one of the most important apps on my computer because I'm using Chrome to connect to StreamYard, which is the, the engine that you and I use to do this show. So even when Chrome is in the background, I absolutely need the system not to like deprioritize it, right? And with AppTamer, I can I can be very clear about that. In fact, earlier today, after we started this call, uh, 
AppTamer jumped up and it was like, hey, Chrome is using a ton of CPU in the background. Do you want me to tame this? And it's like, no, definitely do not. Thank you for asking. Uh, you oh, know, it'll, uh, so it'll proactively give you alerts if it thinks something isn't right. Correct. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Nice. And, and then I could have said, yes, please tame that for me. And then you're good to go. It also knows some things about system processes. So if I go in and, and there's some spotlight processes where if I go to check the box to tame it, it's like, okay, I will let you do this, but I need to warn you about a thing I know about this specific process mm -hmm. first. Right. And so, but being able to just shift things when they're in the background to the, the high efficiency cores, I kind of like that. Now that feature is different on Intel because there, there's no facility to do that. Uh, but you can say, hey, when you're in the background, run at a lower priority. So it'll, for those of you that have used Unix to do this, it will re-nice your processes as they come to the foreground and background, which is really handy. Again, being very intentional. And then that does let the operating system sort of manage it. And nothing that AppTamer is doing gets in the way of the OS. To me, it, at least not that I've seen, to me, it it helps you teach the OS how you want your computer managed. And then, and then the OS can kind of do its, its thing. So I like it. Uh, it. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. I think you would like it too, John. It's, it, it gives you some granular control over some very interesting aspects of the OS. One thing I will point out, uh, you mentioned the listener that wrote in where we talked about app tamer, and that might've actually been the thing that brought it back to top of mind for me uh, with regards to Dropbox, because the Dropbox syncing app, is terrible at CPU. Well, there is a third party open source app that you can use instead of Dropbox to sync. And it's called Maestral, M-A-E-S-T-R-A-L at maestral.app. And uh, so we will put a, a link to that in the, in the show notes. So open source Dropbox app. I like it. Uh, more on that or is uh we're moving on to Christopher. Moving on. Moving on up. All right. Christopher says, uh, I purchased an iMac studio and connected it to two 43-inch LG 4K monitors with the intent of selling my late 2020 27-inch iMac with 64 gigs of RAM and eventually replacing that with uh, the new studio display. As I began setting up the Mac studio, I realized I did not, it did not have a microphone or camera on the monitors that I was getting. Oops. No problem. He says, I'll just order your order the studio display. Also, oops, wrong. They're on back order for several months. Not good. Now what? And then he says, wait, as they say, necessity is the mother of invention. With my recent upgrade to Mac OS Ventura. So he's running the betas. I've discovered universal control. I cannot believe how seamless I can traverse through my two 43-inch monitors on the Mac Studio and then slide onto the iMac. One keyboard, one mouse, interfacing with two computers. A beautiful experience, to say the least. Thinking this through and boiling it down, my, the question popped up. Why not keep the iMac as a glorified studio display? My iMac gives me everything the studio display offers and more. It has the ports, a microphone, a camera, and something better than the A15 chip, plus super graphics, 64 gigs of RAM, 512 gig SSD. And with universal control, 
Who needs the studio display and its flawed webcam for the same price as a studio display? You can purchase a 24 inch M1 iMac with a 5K retina display, all the ports, camera, microphones and something much more powerful than the studio display. So the summary is I'm keeping my iMac and forgetting about the studio display. Is my thinking flawed? We'll answer that question in a minute. Second, and this came to mind as I was reading this too, he points out that as a bonus, using the iMac instead of a, dis- a studio display, you get a backup computer too, which is a really good point. Speaking of, you know, insurance policies, I think this is great. I, like, what do you think, John? I, um, no thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, what, like the thoughts of using... A, a Mac, you know, with universal control, using a Mac instead of uh, just a monitor, it, you know, you're paying arguably about the same price and you get like you get the backup computer sitting right there, ready to go if you if you need it. I don't know. Something, something to be said for this here. It's good thinking. Anyway, if you folks, folks happen to have thoughts that John doesn't feedback at MacGeekab.com. I think you said feedback at MacGeekGab.com. I knew you'd have a thought about that. I did. I said feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Want to take us to Scott? Yeah. So I don't see Scott in our Evernote for some strange reason, but I got the email. Great. So, oops. Um, All right. So Scott has a couple of questions. Um, My sister has a 2012... 27-inch iMac running Catalina. She is having a couple of problems. First, when we can get the machine to finally stop restarting, she cannot turn on Wi-Fi. When you click on it, it does nothing. I tried to reinstall the operating system using the method of holding down Command-R on boot, and the Apple logo does not appear for me uh, to release the keys I have depressed. What are your thoughts? Um... Well, I'll give you my thoughts. Uh, and maybe you have some, Dave, as well. Um, for the Wi-Fi, the only thing I could think of is go to System Preferences, Network, and then you'll see a list of the interfaces that are approved uh, or, or the machine is using at the moment. And one of them is going to say Wi-Fi. Um Maybe your entry is corrupted, so what I would do is maybe highlight the Wi-Fi, and then you'll see um, in that window as well, there's a little minus sign. So I would click on Wi-Fi and remove it from the list of interfaces. Um, and also, I'd be curious, so the thing is, if if you do go to this place in the system, Dave, there should be a, a little green, or at least on my system, because it's working, uh, there should be a little green bubble and it'll say connected. Um, I'm wondering if in your case, that is not what you see. And if that's not what you see, um, it could be possible that your Wi-Fi radio is broken. Hmm. Yeah, I... I- um, I would do the same thing. I would I would remove it and re-add it for sure. Yeah, that's that that I've never had to do that, but that's the only thing I can think of to uh, to fix that. 
Um, I've ha- I've done that before. I've had, you know, not exactly this problem, but something close enough to it in the past. And absolutely just, you know, it, it's because all it's doing, it, it, all system preferences do, is doing and in Ventura, the settings app is doing is managing a bunch of P lists. Right. And like you pointed out, those P lists can get corrupted. So removing one and and, you know, removing the, the entry and re-adding it forces it to rebuild those from you know the os defaults and that that i've had it solve network issues in the past for sure so yeah yeah and i mean the other thing is if your wi-fi radio is broken well number one if it is then maybe it's time to get a new mac (laughs) but you could also get an external um wi-fi adapter oh yeah sure I had one once uh, when, you know, they were rolling out 802.11ac. Um, I had an external adapter it connected via USB, but it offered me, you know, better speeds. So, yeah, I'm trying to think USB Wi-Fi adapter. Like how many of these work with the Mac? They, they, like, Well, there's OK. So I'm looking on Amazon right now and I'm seeing. One that does 802.11ac, so it's not AX, for 25 bucks, and it says that it works with everything, Mac, Windows, Linux, uh, and it's just USB, and it plugs in. So, yeah. Yeah, so it's a hardware problem. Um, if it's a hardware problem, then, yeah, there, there is a solution. That's I hadn't really thought about that. That's a good idea, man. Yeah. Right, though, um, you know, I mean, it's a 2012 Mac. I think, you know, My- that's a... Might not it's a pretty good anything. run, man. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's what? It's uh, what? It's it's ten years old. Yeah. I'm like, wow. I, I'm amazed that you know you're still using it. I, I don't. <laughs> I, I mean, ten years seems to be about right these days. I mean, we're crazy people because we wanted to upgrade to M1 and like all those things. But prior to that, I, I think I remember on the show pointing out that you know throughout our various homes we had. You know, it was not uncommon to come across a machine that was still in daily service, uh, maybe not on our main desks, but certainly with our family members and stuff. Super happy about the machine. I mean, it back in the day, we attributed that to uh, SSDs allowing, you know, computers to actually use the full power of their CPU and not being bogged down by by the, uh, you know, by by disk access. And so. Yeah, I mean, but but 10 years is I, I, I this is not a disagreement. I'm 100 percent with you. If you get to the point where it's 10 years and, and there's problems that you're going to start paying money to fix, it's like, well, maybe that's the sign. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Kind of like me and my Saturn. <laughs> like you and your Saturn, John. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We someday I'll upgrade. We had this conversation, <laughs> and it's ironic, uh, on the small business show a couple of weeks ago, where my co-host Shannon Jean posited that all devices should come with an expiration date. And really, what he was saying, and I, and I agree with him on this, is that we as consumers, when we buy stuff, we should level set. And say, okay, you know, I expect this to last for X number of years. And then when it gets to that point, it might be smart to be proactive and replace it. And I I used the example uh, in that show of my refrigerators. There's two refrigerators in my house. They were here when we bought the house. That was 17 years ago. 
Uh, certainly they weren't brand new on that day. So, you know, they're 20 year old refrigerators and they work. They're a little bit. There's quirks about them as as there are with things as they age. But I was also pointing out that, you know, I think if I replaced both of those refrigerators today within a couple of years, I'd probably make my money back on the energy savings and all that stuff, not just because of new technology, but because, you know, the seals on those old refrigerators are old and I'm sure they aren't sealing in as well as they did originally and certainly not as well as a brand new one. And I thought, well, you know, much better to replace it on your schedule as opposed to on the schedule of, hey, your refrigerator broke and now it's an emergency. And then literally the next day, um, our oven, one of the, 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 the up button on the control panel. So the thing that sets not only the temp, the time on the clock, but the temperature of the oven is non-functional. And I took the whole thing apart. I actually took the control board out thinking maybe it was just like the the pant like the 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 outer panel and we could just maybe poke the up button with a chopstick or something and no the button itself has just it's just dead it, it barely works so we have to buy a new oven but the problem is you know it's an emergency in a sense if if we want to cook things at a temperature other than 350 degrees well then we need a new oven but ordering an oven right now is uh no small feat because of all these supply chain things appliances in general you know it's not not atypical to find a six month wait. Uh, you know, that's kind of normal right now. So thankfully, we were able to find an oven that was, you know, in the state of New Hampshire and should be delivered in the next week or two. And it's fine. Like, we'll, we'll get through it. But as soon as we're done with that and a couple other projects we have at the house, I'm going to replace both refrigerators. And if if they tell me, OK, yeah, you know, you got to wait six months for one of these. That's fine. But I'm being proactive about it. So I like this idea of treating things like they have expiration dates because they kind of do um, might be a smart thing. Businesses do it all the time, right? You know, because you don't want to find yourself caught behind the eight ball. And so it's not uncommon for a business to have a policy that like, oh yeah, when your computer hits X number of years old, uh, you put in a requisition, you know, we will, or, or the IT department just does it automatically depending on the size of the company. But um, waiting for things to break, is not necessarily the most economical path through and certainly not necessarily the most um, efficient path through. So, yeah, I think your car yeah. is past its expiration date, John. No, you're right. I, I, you know, just like how it goes. So. Unfortunately, to your story, my last fridge, um, it broke. And the reason that I knew it broke is that there was a puddle of water on the yeah. floor. And I'm like, uh-oh, that's bad. Yeah, uh-oh, right. So basically the compressor had failed, which yeah. is pretty much what a refrigerator is, right? <laughs> uh, but for the most part, yes, it's it's a, a fancy box around a, a, a compressor and a condenser. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, fortunately, I have um, relatives nearby, so I was able to bring my contents and my uh, my sister and brother-in-law, they actually have a backup refrigerator. So I was able to save the food. Oh, there you go. There you go. Was night. That's good. All right. As to the second question here, so, you know, <laughs> I've run into that. Um, uh, Scott's question about booting into recovery. I found that at times 
I don't know if it's a bug in the OS or something, but uh, so the way to, to get into recovery uh, is normally you hold down command R. Um, well, you hold it down after you hear the startup chime. Um, I found that you may want to do this before the startup chime. Um, on occasion, I've just found that it gets very picky about going into recovery mode, and I don't know why. Um, but as a follow-up, what you may want to try to do, uh, so I found a little article that gives you a whole bunch of suggestions um, when command R does not work. And I think the one that I would try first from this article, Dave, is the last one that they mention is that you can do something known as an internet recovery. Mm. So rather than booting from your hard drive recovery partition, this actually goes over the internets. Okay. Um, yeah. And it's a slightly different startup sequence. So other than rather than holding down command R, hold down command option R. Okay. And assuming that you have an internet connection, uh It'll do recovery that way. Yeah. All right. All right. I'll, yeah, I'll buy that. Yeah, yeah. I've. I. They may also have. It, they. This may not work. Uh, easy for me to say. And also, thank you, John, for getting us back on track. I. I. I feel like there. There. There might be a, the need for a cheer here. That. That you were the one that that brought us out of the tangent world. So thank you for that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I. Did, I wanted to acknowledge that. Um, I have seen recovery mode fail with third party Bluetooth keyboards or third party wireless keyboards. Uh, uh, good it, point. Yes. It generally works with Apple's wireless keyboards, but I have seen third party keyboards, some, not all fail with recovery mode. So I often will employ a usb keyboard to solve this problem now it i it's a 27 inch imac so it's not like a, a laptop with a built-in keyboard it's entirely possible that you know a 10 year old imac has a third-party you know wireless bluetooth keyboard or something so that that could well be the issue here try it with a usb keyboard try it with an apple keyboard if you've still got the original that that you know came in so yeah no, that's a good suggestion because, uh, yeah, and I think this article that I found mentions that, is that the keyboard may not be talking to the computer when you're trying to get into recovery. Yeah. So that's why you want a wired keyboard. Yeah. Yeah. The wired you keyboard know, is the I simplest actually, way to do it. Yeah. I got to remind myself to actually get one. <laughs> I don't have one. I, I had one, and then I think I, I recycled it. But uh -huh. uh, I should get one just as a, a backup. Yeah. Yeah, I keep one not too far away from, you know, myself in the office there just just for these scenarios. So, I mean, on this machine, um, on my mini, my podcasting machine, I actually have a Logitech and I found that that it, it, it talks when it should and that I can get into recovery. Is it wireless? Um, it, it uses the so Logitech is kind of weird in that they have this little dongle, right? So the Mac sees it as a as a USB keyboard, 
Yes. Even though you know that the USB part is wirelessly connected to a keyboard. Right. Yeah. That mm-hmm. uh, I've never had a problem with the Logitech with the dongle keyboards uh, in this regard, because, yeah, the Mac sees it right away. Uh, unless the battery's dead, in which case, you know, it's a different problem. Hey, I've had a problem, John, for a while. And the problem has been I cannot remove files from my uh, Apple Music playlists that in the music app. on. And, and at first I thought it was just on my Mac and like, OK, well, someday I'll solve this problem. And really, it, it's it, my use case for removing files or removing tracks from a playlist is mostly – that I download a lot of live shows. I put them, I put all the tracks into one playlist and then I play them. And then when I, and then I'll go through and be like, okay, well I've listened to that live concert. So I'm going to remove that from this playlist, even though I want to leave it in my library. And it just helps me manage the stuff that I just listened to that things that I want to listen to once, which might be in a friend's album or something like that. Right. So I just have this cue and I couldn't remove things from it. And then I realized I also couldn't remove things from it on my phone and I couldn't remove things from it on another Mac and I'm like, okay, what's going on here? And so finally the other day I started messing with it uh, more than just, you know, trying to hit delete multiple times in a row. And the first thing I did was I was like, wow, if I'm going to mess with this, the first thing I got to do is clean things up because I've got a bunch of extra playlists that are kind of junk playlists. And so let me delete those and and clean that up first, just at least that way I'll be productive about something. And it also, I was, I was curious, like, can, I know I can't remove a song from a playlist, but can I delete a playlist? Meaning, could I create a new playlist and only copy the things into it that I want and then de- delete this old one? I didn't wind up having to do that, but that was sort of my thinking. It was like, okay, let me clean things up first and we'll get there. And I probably cleaned up 10 or 15, you know, just sort of random junk playlists or not even junk, but like Apple music playlists that I had unintentionally added to my library or whatever that I just hadn't messed with. And so I deleted all those. And once I had deleted them, John, I was able to remove tracks from my original playlist. So there is something with Apple music where there is, I'll call it a maximum number of playlists, although that's probably not the right term, but there is a scenario where Apple music gets itself tied into a little bit of a knot when there is more than X number of playlists. I apologize. I now realize I did not count the number of playlists that I have, but let's say it's about a hundred. I have them nested. I've got folders of playlists and all that stuff. I keep playlists for all the different shows that I have to do. Like, Oh, I've got, you know, I got this gig coming up on Thursday night. I need to learn these 10 tracks for the, for that gig. So I make a playlist of it. And then when it's over, I archive it into a different folder, but I don't delete those playlists. So I think there is some maximum number. If you're having problems in Apple Music, try removing some playlists and see if that makes life better. That's my that's my sh- my share for today. So I don't know. Are you using Apple Music, John? No. Okay. I know when you got like your whatever your phone or something, it gave you a free three months or something. Um, I'm sure if you the the, the um. Yeah, one of the devices that I bought. Yeah, they they threw in a whole bu- bunch of uh, trials. Uh, HomePod Mini. That's it. That was it. They were like, oh, well, you know, here's a free trial to Apple Music, and here's a free trial for news, and here's a free trial for some other thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was nice while it lasted. All right. 
Good. Sure. Uh, do you use any streaming music service? Just out of curiosity, like no. Spotify or no, any of those. No. Okay. All right. Interesting. All right. You use TuneIn. I use TuneIn to stream radio. Sure. So you yeah. could use TuneIn to stream podcasts too, you know. Yes. That happened one time. Yeah. I accidentally, <clears throat> excuse me, started a podcast. No, we accidentally started a podcast 17 years ago. You accidentally oh, right. started playing yeah, a podcast. That's, that's right. Yeah. All right. Uh, you want to, speaking of HomePod mini, you want to take us to, uh, to Ross? Yeah. And why is the content not in Evernote? I'm, I'm almost certain I put it there, but I have the email. Great. So here we go. Um, also sync your Evernote because it's definitely there, but, but go ahead and read the email sync, sync oh, later. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's annoying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're going to need to move to Apple notes. I think, I think it's a doable thing for us. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Ross says, uh, I'm trying to figure out how to play lossless music using Apple music with HomePod minis. I can play lossless using my iPhone and wired headphones. I can play lossless using my Apple TV 4K and my stereo. When I try to play lossless using my Apple TV 4K and minis or airplay to the minis, the lossless logo disappears. When I see the logo and press on it or click on it using Apple TV 4K and stereo, it shows what the audio format is. The same with iPhone and wired headphones, but using the minis, I don't see the lossless logo. Uh, I'm also interested in using a DAC, which is known as a digital audio converter, I think, uh, to listen to high-res lossless music with my iPhone and MacBook Pro M1. I think the Apple TV is limited to regular lossless. Do you have a suggestion for DAC? So, um, first off, uh, to do lossless, there are two places you can look, Dave. Okay. So one, I found a support article from Apple titled about lossless audio in Apple Music. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I didn't see, it, although the article indicates that there should be a setting within the Apple Music app to do this. I didn't see it, and I think it's because... Um, I don't have an Apple Music subscription. Uh, Probably right. Okay. Uh, fortunately, there's another place that you can set this, Dave. That you know, I dug deep to find this. Um, uh, and it's in the uh, oddly enough in the Home app. Yeah. Okay. So this is kind of weird. Yep. <laughs> So, uh, and I found another article, HomePod and HomePod Mini get Apple Music lossless. And, and basically, you go on the Home app and you dig down and there will be a place where you can say, enable lossless. Um, I, I, I found some settings back from October or an article back from October when this, when this came out for the HomePod Mini. And, and it, it agrees with you that it's in the Home app. You, you go, you open the Home app, tap the Home button. Tap home settings and then under people, tap your name, yeah. then tap Apple Music, and then you can turn lossless on or off in the home app. So I guess the home app is the app that controls the HomePod mini settings. So, okay, you know, yeah. So that, yeah, it seems to be the right, the right path there. So, 
Yeah. And I've actually had, uh, what's interesting is that I've actually had the home app come up on my iPhone saying, Hey, there's an update available for your, uh, for your home pods. Sure. Okay. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Yeah, it still hasn't the the my only annoyance with with the uh, HomePod Mini is that if I try to stream video using something like VNC or VLC VNC VLC VNC is the remote access thing. Yep. Right, sorry. That's okay. Got, I got <laughs> um, you. I got your back. The audio is totally unsynchronized. Oh. I don't know why. If I, I use I, I know why. It's wireless. If I use Apple's app, yeah. But if I, if 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 I try to stream a video using QuickTime, everything's fine, right? Because it's Apple's stuff talking to Apple stuff, and it knows how much to delay right. sending the video or sending the audio so that it matches the video or, or or vice versa, whichever needs to happen. Yeah, yeah. That and I mean that's not an uncommon scenario. Most. TVs and sound bars and all of that have some facility to adjust that delay if it's not happening automatically. With Apple's stuff, you can use your iPhone to to do that syncing for you, which is kind of magical. Uh, I mean, it makes it's not magical. It's just, you know, it's a device ecosystem and, and it works. So, yeah, uh, I like that. But but yes, that would be the thing. It's possible inside VLC you have some some controls to adjust that delay, and that might that might work fine for you because it's because it's really I mean it's a obviously a common thing. Syncing. If you talk to anybody that does audio like editing of live audio, like concert videos, are a huge one because that needs to be in sync, especially when you're you're showing. Uh, video of a percussive instrument being played you know if you hear and and that happens a split second before you you see it, it things are like it your brain does not like that at all and i think we've all experienced it watching tv when the audio and video gets a little out of sync and you know you hear the words at a different time than you see the person's mouth make them and uh, you know that can be tolerated to a point but not, but it's, but it's a pretty fine point. So, yeah. All right. Uh, As for the second question. Yes, sir. Um, a digital audio converter. So if you want to get better quality, then a, a digital audio converter can do that for you. Um, off the top of my head, Dave, as soon as, uh, a uh, digital audio converter was mentioned. The first thing that popped into my head was uh, Audio Engine yeah. has an offering. Yeah. Uh, the D1. I, uh, I have that DAC on my Mac, the D1. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I really, they offered to send it to me years ago. And I'm like, oh, okay, fine. Like I'm using, I'm using actually a set of their speakers, the little, you know, A2s or something. They're tiny little desktop speakers. I'm like, uh, sure, send it to me. But like, I don't, I didn't expect to hear a difference, right? You know, my, the whole thing about a DAC is, well, there's two things about a DAC. One is that you potentially get a higher uh, bit rate. Like capabilities of 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 playing either higher bit rates or higher sample rates out of out of a DAC, an external DAC, than you would the internal DAC that's that's in your Mac. And so, okay, but 
you know, I've already sort of proven to myself that that in and of itself doesn't make a difference. The other thing that a DAC gets you, if it has its own discrete power or is built to separate power from the DAC or insulate power from the DAC in the right way, is that you get a lower noise floor that everything starts with, right? The DAC inside your computer is exposed to all the noise of the things in your computer, the electrical noise of the things in your computer. And it really does translate into audible noise. And so, you you know, you, you get this noise floor that is not as low as it could be in an external DAC can, can do that for you. And I thought, okay, well, I, you know, but also my office isn't kind of noisy. I have a couple of disk stations running. Like, I, I just don't notice this. It's, I don't think it's going to be a big deal. And it literally, as soon as I plugged it in, it was like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Sound felt like it had more depth. It was more like 3D. The stereo field felt wider and I hadn't moved anything. You know, I just changed the plug from the back of my computer to the back of the deck. And I mentioned this to Brady at Audio Engine. And he was like, yeah, he's like, of course, that's what you're hearing. He's like, uh, you know, that lower noise floor really makes a difference when producing sound. He's like, it's not so much about the noise, but it's about the nuances of the sound that can shine through when in the past they, you know, they couldn't because, you know, the, the, the signal to noise ratio was limited. And uh, and he's like, yeah, this is this is why people buy external DACs. And I was like, oh, OK. Yeah, I'm sold. Like, I'm going to keep it. He's like, great. You know, so, yeah, it does make a difference. And that D1 is a is a fantastic option. Um, I, I still use it every day uh, to play the aforementioned playlist that uh, that I couldn't remove things from until recently. So, yeah. right. And I think the other thing is that so, so Apple's DAC, I think, is limited to 48 kilohertz. Is that right? Uh, it depends on the device. I, I not necessarily. I, I, okay. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I can, I will risk running audio MIDI setup while we are doing the show. <laughs> I apologize to everyone. Uh, let's look at my Mac's built-in output, and I could no. I, and this is a you know 2019 iMac. I could change the sample rate. It's at 44.1 right now because that's what I have standardized everything on this computer to, and I'm hoping that I don't accidentally change this. Uh, but I could go up to 96K, 96 kilohertz, 96,000 hertz. So, um, yeah. So it depends on the on the device as to what you're limited to. Yeah. So. And this Mac will do 24-bit, too. Like, it's it's not about the it, – it might be about the bit rate and the sample rate, but it's more than that. That noise floor – uh, really makes it. And the amplifier too, right? Even if you're using speakers, there is a preamp in there and the quality of that preamp also makes a difference. And the uh, part of what makes a preamp higher quality is a lower noise floor of its own, right? So there's a little headphone amp in your Mac. There's a little headphone amp in the DAC. My guess is the one in the DAC is actually probably a little better, at least for, in my scenario. Uh, I'm trying to think if Spencer's comment is if we have covered this because somebody else also asked about Dax. Spencer says, uh, let's see. My question is about portable Dax and I'm looking at the Helm Audio Bolt DAC, which is a USB-C portable high end DAC and headphone amplifier with MQA playback to be able to get high res lossless, uh, should I get this or am I wasting my money due to my 55 year old hearing that was put to the test using a Sony Walkman on bust back in the eighties? 
uh, yeah, my yeah. So my answer would basically be be what we've said here is that yes, you know, depending. I mean, I don't know how your hearing is, but you may well hear a difference here. Um, so yeah, yeah. I don't know anything about the Helm Audio Bolt, but uh, but it, the reviews of it look quite stellar. So yeah. Um, while we're on the, I know we're a couple minutes over our thing here, whatever that actually is. While we're on the subject of audio, I want to talk about a device that I've had the chance to use lately. Uh, and I'm pretty excited about it. it is the Sonos Ray, which is their latest sound bar. The, 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 the lead here is that it is a $279 sound bar from Sonos. It is a fully sonos device uh it fits really well in front of a 32 inch tv it's it's super narrow and the speakers are only on the front of it so if you wanted to put this soundbar like inside of a bookshelf or something you're not going to be dealing with you know all the reflections that you would get uh the undesired reflections that you would get if it had speakers, you know, aimed to the top of it or the sides of it or whatever. I mean, it does have speakers that aim out to the side to give you a nice wide stereo field. But uh, but it is, it, you know, the speakers are all on the front. So you could put it in a, a bookshelf and just have it at the front of the bookshelf and you're not going to have any issues. Uh, it uses an optical input, which most TVs have. So you can just output from your TV into it. And John, one thing I really liked about this was... You know, those the optical inputs are those little what I call or what I I learned as toss link, TOS link connectors. Mm-hmm. Yep. And those things are always a pain in the neck to plug in because there's like one side that's shaped a little bit differently than the rest. The jack on this Sonos Ray is what I will call a universal toss link port. I plugged it in perfectly on the first time. And I'm like, wait a minute. And I looked at the port. And then I pulled it out and I rotated it and I plugged it in again and it also fit. It it takes it at any rotation. So whatever they figured out, whatever they whatever vendor they worked with on that that tossling port, or maybe they designed it themselves. Uh, very it, that was a, it was a super nice touch because it just made setup super easy. The sound out of this thing is fantastic. It it uh, you know it's great. It, I talk about a spectacular dorm room speaker, right? Because you can play music through it too, but then also it will it will play your, you know, obviously the stuff from your TV. It's your home theater as well. I, I, I'm blown away. It does not have any voice assistant with it. That's part of how they got the the, the cost down. It it does not do uh, it does not do Dolby Atmos um, partially because it doesn't have speakers that are aiming up and down, so you wouldn't really get anything out of that anyway. Um, I really like this thing Um, for 279 bucks. It's a great, great little thing. I'm just blown away that Sonos is, is making this at this price and, uh, you know, offering something at that level. So yeah. Anyway, no, I like the, uh, connector option that that's neat. It's like, you know, looking back, uh, in the battle days of USB. Yes, exactly. Right. Is, it, it it was always like the chance that you're going to plug it in wrong is like almost 100%. <laughs> yeah, even with USB, you have a 50% chance of getting it 100% wrong every time. That's right. Yeah. I, why is that? What This is one of the mysteries of the universe. Whatever you do with a USB port, uh, 
I, you know, I don't think the other thing. Okay. Bron, John, this brings me to a question that I have for everybody. You know, when you're, you've got your computer on your desk, right? Like you do. And all the power cables, like the power outlets are, you know, on the floor usually. And so, you know, that move that you do where you plug in the power brick or whatever, and there's the little power cable that then needs to go up and, and plug into your device. And you reach around the back of your desk and you gingerly hang the little cable there and then move quickly, but carefully so that you don't jostle the desk and let the thing fall off. And it falls off like half the time. But, you know, mm-hmm. you reach your hand in and you finally get that thing. Why is there not a word in our in our common lexicon to describe that maneuver, the 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 the, the gentle hang, whatever it is that that underneath you're doing it blind, you're hanging the thing so that you can climb out and go do that. We've all done it. Why does it take me 10 minutes here to describe what that maneuver is? We need a word for it, folks. And I'm looking at you. You folks can do this. Feedback at MacGeekCab.com. This is this is the uh, this is your homework for the week. You got to come up. We've got to come up with a word or a phrase to describe what that little maneuver is. And sometimes, you know, you you tuck it under another cable. Right. So that it's it's uh, you know, it's got some pressure on it. And hopefully, you know, it'll be there when you go and reach around to grab it. I don't know what it is. I don't know what the word is. But there's a phrase. There's something we need to come up with to describe that. We do it all too often, and the end is not in sight. Okay, I'm glad I got that off my chest. I've been I've been thinking about this for like ten years, John. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. This is fun. All right. Yeah. Anything else to add, John, before we let everybody go? No. All right. Well, that's uh, then that's what we've got. Thanks for hanging out with us. Pilot Pete wasn't here today, but make sure you go listen to his new podcast. So there I was us. I love this show. Have you listened yet, John? It's no. good. It's good. I, you would. I think you would love it. Even you don't even have to be an aviation enthusiast. I don't think to to be into this. Like, yeah, it, it's fun. He and he and Fig do a great job, and you get to learn why. Uh, here we know him as Pilot Pete. In the aviation world, his call sign is Repeat, and there's a funny story for that. And if you listen to episode one, you will learn that funny story. All right. Thanks for listening, folks. Thanks to all of our great sponsors. Of course, Wealthfront.com slash MGG, LinkedIn.com slash MGG. Thanks to Cashfly for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Thanks to all of you participating in our Discord chat, MacGeekUp.com slash Discord. It's nice to have a place. That's our family room. It's where we all hang. I'm going to hang there a little bit this afternoon. It's going to be fun. Mr. F. Braun, what do you have to say? Don't get caught. Made up.